So sociologists at Baylor University did a survey. They, they surveyed 1,721 people and uh, Americans, and they had 77 questions, and there were a potential of 400 different answers that they could give, combinations. 91% of the people said they believed in God, whatever that meant, whether it was the God that we know of the Bible or some higher power, so it was a very generic view of God. But they all had, they really, basically, their view of God came down to four basic views. It's very interesting. The first one, 31% of Americans overall, 43% in the South, saw, saw God as an authoritarian. That he was throwing his ferocious judgment down upon the unfaithful and ungodly. So 20, 31% in, of Americans overall, 43% in the South. The second view was the benevolent God. 23% overall, 28% in the Midwest, by the way. See, we are more benevolent than others. And they understood God primarily as a God of forgiveness. In this perspective, the benevolent God offers people a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chance, right? The third view that came out of this survey was the critical God. 16% overall, 21% in the East, because they are pretty critical in the East, or I used to live there. And the, the idea here is that God has a judgmental eye in the world, but he remains kind of inactive. Uh, he's a critical God who neither, punish, neither punishes or can, uh, comforts. And then finally, the, the distant God, 24% overall, 30% in the West. God is a cosmic force. That sounds like the West, doesn't it? You know, if you're from the West or from the East, don't be offended. You, you get that I'm just being very basic here. He launched the world, but then left it spinning to its own. Okay? Not similar to the deist view that we talked about last week. We're in a series, and we're talking about what it does it mean. How do we relate to God? And sometimes we create God in our own image. But that image is wrong. And uh, we're taking the series, it's from this book, With, so the, the idea of the series came from this book, and we're using some of the material from that. But he uses prepositions, and we talked about two of the prepositions last week. We said, first, that we can view God as though we're under him, that, that God is this capricious deity who must be appeased in order to guarantee blessing or to avoid punishment. So we do the right thing. We live a good life. We live a moral life. We stay in the lanes that He's laid out. And if we do that, not only will we not get punished, but we might generally be blessed. You do your part. God does His. Now, some people have walked away from God because they, they felt like they had done their part, but God hadn't done His part. And so they say, that's it. I'm done with you. They may have prayed for somebody to be healed or for healing of a marriage or something, and God, in their mind, didn't come through, so they walked away. The opposite view of that is the, the over-God view, and that's the view that where people view God as he's an outdated, antiquated, antiquated uh, idea that, that we don't need an idea of God anymore, we don't need him, we have science 
we can create this utopia. The biggest problem we have is religion. If we could just get rid of religion and get rid of all of this stuff and just just be who we are, then then things would be better. Let's just get rid of this whole God idea anyways. We That was an ancient idea that we don't need anymore. Science can explain just about everything. But as I said last weekend, this view fails to take into account that there's something within each of us, if left to itself, is pretty dark and can do dark things. And... So those are probably inferior views to say that we're under this God and we just have to live our life right or otherwise we're going to get slapped on the wrist or worse. Or that, that we don't need God at all. We can go on our own. There are really different ways of really trying to control God. Make God in our own image. Make Him the way we want Him to be rather than the way He is. The next two approaches, and we're going to talk about these next two approaches are from God and for God. We're going to talk about from God this weekend. The idea of from God is this. It's the idea, and, and many people, including Christians, hold this view, that we connect with God like a vending machine. We don't generally talk about God. We don't really spend time with Him. But when we're in trouble, when we need help, we go to God, right? We put our money in the machine and we say, God, I need you to help me. Now, let's be clear. There's plenty of passages in the Bible that tell us that that's exactly what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go and we're supposed to ask. We're supposed to knock. So God says to do that, <laughs> okay? That's not a problem. But generally... This view kind of takes it to an extreme where God is really just there to serve us. The passage we're going to look at this weekend is found in Luke chapter 11. And Jesus is in this discussion with his disciples. Because his disciples have been watching John and his disciples. And they're going like, hey, John is teaching his disciples how to pray. We think that would be really cool if you taught us how to pray. Tell us how to pray. And so Jesus does. But Jesus goes farther than teaching them how to pray. He teaches them some other lessons along the way. So we're going to pick it up. And we're going to be in John, or excuse me, Luke chapter 11. It's page 793 in this Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can pick that up. And I'll start reading. I want to read the first the part of the passage, verses 1 through 5. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Now, you, you are all going to know these next words. They're very familiar. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And do not let us yield to temptation. That's obviously a, a different, shortened form of the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus teaches them how to pray. But he doesn't stop there. Luke's account, he goes on to teach something much more. So let me follow along at verse 5. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. 
Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. Suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and my family and I are in, all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameful persistence. <laughs> and so I tell you to keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks the door will be open. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So let's talk a little bit about this passage and what it's saying to us, not only about prayer, but about this whole idea of approaching God as this from. Have you ever asked, so the first thing I want you to see is that requests and relationship go hand in hand. Have you ever asked somebody that you don't know for a big favor? How does that make you feel? It's like, I need this, and I need them to do me a solid, and I, I'm going to ask them this, but I don't really know them. You've probably found it. You found it awkward and difficult. You don't know how they're going to re respond to your request because you don't know them. They might shut you down, and, you, and you're, you're taking a real risk. It may be that you're, it's such a risk, you say, oh, just forget it. Just forget it. I, I'm not even going to bother. But that all changes when you ask somebody who's close to you, somebody that cares about you, somebody that you love and they love you, a family member, a, a mo mother, father, a husband, wife, a good friend, somebody who's helped you in the past. You know, even if you ask for something big, you're pretty confident that they're going to come through, they're going to do something, that they can help you. In this passage, Jesus is showing us that even the most loving and caring relationship we have can't hold a candle to the way that He loves and cares for us. Now think about that. If you're a good mother, if you're a good father, you would never give yourself, your, your children something dangerous, something bad when they ask for something they need. You would just wouldn't do it. In a similar way, God would never give us something that would harm us. More than that, we know that we can call upon those that we love Generally, most of the time, when there's an emergency, we need help. Somebody to watch the kids, somebody to do this, somebody to do that. We call them and say, sure, you know, bring them over, or I'll come over, or whatever. And, and, and they just, that's just what we do. They're not bothered by our requests because they love us. They would be bothered if, they didn't, if we didn't call them in those times, right? But there are times, let's be honest, where somebody asks you for a favor and you go, really? I don't know. You know, <laughs> it's kind of a, it's a little taxing. But, but what Jesus is saying here is, at, at the human level, sometimes these relationships, you're asking for something from somebody that you love and loves you. And even then it can get a little strained. It can get a little hard. It can get a little difficult. Jesus says, it never happens with God. 
It never happens with your Heavenly Father. He doesn't have bad days. He doesn't get worn out. You know, he, he, He always enjoys helping us. Why? Because we belong to Him. Because we have a relationship with Him. Because this relationship has already cost Him a lot. His very Son, that we just celebrated the death of His Son for us. That Jesus came to earth for us so that we could have a relationship with God. So, so He wants to give to us. But here's the problem. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's where we get off track. Oftentimes, people, Christians, even you and me, can make a request without any thought of the relationship. In other words, we don't take time for the relationship and we rush to the request. Have you found that true in your life? Have you found that your relationship with God is really more of a one-sided request? You're, you're, you're always there and asking for things, but you're not really spending time with Him. You're not really with Him. In other words, God has become this big cosmic vending machine for you. You go to Him when you need help, but not much more than that. Now, if we fail to seek the relationship, we'll inevitably ask for things like scorpions and serpents. We lose track of being with Him. When we lose track of being with Him, we ask for the wrong things. Things that could harm us, frankly. Why is that? Because our relationship with Him directs our values, it directs our dreams, our requests, it directs our very lives. When we find ourselves, uh, we, we find out, uh, we find our everything in Him, we seek to be with Him. We find that our needs are met in Him. We, find, we ask for things that are in line with growing that life-giving relationship. In other words, what I'm saying is when we don't spend time with Him, we generally will ask for the wrong things, and sometimes the things we ask for hurt us. They're not essentially what we need. Here's the principle I want you to see. What we need most is not what God can give us. It's His very presence. We, it's not what God can give us. It's His presence that we so desperately need. And yes, He can give us stuff. He can answer prayer. But that's not why God exists. And that's what, not what we need the most. For instance, David puts it this way. And this, is, this sounds kind of dissimilar to us. It doesn't seem like we get this idea. He says this. He says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now we say, I like the desires of the heart part, but delight myself, what does that mean? So we can approach this verse and even the Bible in two different ways. First, we can approach the Bible and say, The Bible is all about... Me. Okay? So, if we do that, if we approach the Bible, it assumes that the Bible's primarily about me. It's a roadmap to get where I want to go. It contains advice, rules, principles. We talked a little bit about that week. So, so this book is, is for me. It's a book to show me who God is and what to do. And, and really, it's a roadmap for me. That's one way to approach the Bible. There's another way to approach the Bible. The second approach is that we approach Him the Bible and we say it's really about God. It's what God has done. It's what God is doing. It's what God is, is about to do and going to do. In other words, this book isn't about me. It's about God. Yes, it shows me where I fit in, but it's not about me. It's about God. I mean, after all, how did it begin? In the beginning, me? 
No, I think it began in the beginning, God. Now, let's take that principle and let's apply it to Psalm 37.4. If we take that verse that says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Let's approach it from the me perspective. So if we approach it from the self-centered me perspective, this verse is primarily about us, what we want, what we think. Um, in other words, we interpret it, if I do enough, if I pray enough, if I am, am a good enough, good enough, then God will give me whatever my heart desires. So what is this, I do enough, I'm good enough, I do that. What are we doing? We're putting money in the vending machine so that we can pull the crank and God gives us what we want. That's approaching this verse from the me, the selfish, the self-centered way. The God-centered way is that this verse and the rest of the Bible is primarily about God. And we discover a Father who deeply loves us and wants to transform our self-centered hearts. Now get this. He doesn't want us to come to Him for a quick fix. He wants us to delight in Him. To delight in Him means that He is the central joy and the pursuit of our lives. And when God becomes the central joy and the pursuit of our lives... Everything changes. Our, our requests changes. Our values change. What worries us change, <laughs> changes. Everything changes. And, and I like the way that uh, Oswald Chambers put it. He says, We look upon prayer simply as a means of getting things for ourselves, but the biblical purpose of prayer is that we may get to know God Himself. When we delight in Him, he gives us the desires of our heart. Our, our desires will begin to look like His desires. His desires for us will always be right and life-giving. That's why David can say this, As the deer longs for the streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. And David is saying there, I'm not really interested in God for what I can get. I'm just interested in being with God. God, because when I'm with God, I find life, I find hope, I find joy, I find peace, I find perspective, I find everything, I find who I am. Here's the second thing we want to draw from this passage. Our real need is to know Him, to experience Him, to be with Him. You know, in this passage, it's very interesting, because he says, keep on asking, keep on knocking, right? And he says, and... Here's what will happen. God's going to open the door. God's going to answer. God's going to give. But what does Jesus say He's going to give us? The thing that we need the most. Most of the time, if, if, if I'm going to say this and you're going to say, oh, I didn't think that was really what I needed. But it is absolutely what we need. What did Jesus say? What is it that we desperately need? What is it that you need every day of your life? You needed it today, you needed it this past week, you're going to need it this week, you're going to need it this year. What is the one thing that you desperately need? Is it more money? Is it better relationships? Is it healing, physical healing or emotional healing? I mean, those are all important things. No. Look at what Jesus says. He says, if you then know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will, your hev will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? What? The Holy Spirit? What is that all about? 
In other words, what Jesus is saying, the one thing that we need desperately is the Holy Spirit. He said before He left earth, He left His disciples, He says, don't worry. John 14, He says, I'm going to leave you, but I'll leave you another comforter. And the Greek word there means another of the same kind. In other words, He's speaking of God, the Spirit, God the Spirit. And He's saying, and He will be, you know, He will direct you, guide you, and all this other stuff. Now, here's the thing. We sometimes say Father, Son, Spirit, Low end of the totem pole, you know. No, 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 no. God, Father, Son, and Spirit, co-eternal, co-equal. The presence of God. Jesus says, the one thing that you're going to need when I leave, when my presence, physical presence leaves you, is my presence, the presence of God. The Spirit of God will remain with you. With you. Now, this is pretty important. What difference does the Holy Spirit make? Uh, Paul says this, very interesting. He says, be careful how you live. Don't live... This is Ephesians chapter 5. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And then he says this, don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The question I want to ask you is this. And this is so true. This, by the way, this is so true in Dubuque. I'm amazed at how many people drink around here and how much they drink. And listen, I'm not making a statement about what, what Paul is maybe saying about Christians and drinking. Except to say this. Paul is saying that people have always had the tendency when life isn't going well, when they're depressed, when they're discouraged, when they, they, they can't cope with life, they grab the bottle to escape. And sometimes they, they do drugs to escape because the world is too hard. I can't take it anymore. I need relief. I need help. I need hope. I need peace. I need to dead. I, and, and, and he says, don't turn to the bottle. Turn to the Spirit. Because what will the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit will give you joy and hope and peace. Right? I mean, would that be an important thing to have this week, knowing that I'm going to go with peace and joy and hope for the coming week? Some people need a few drinks to make their lives more bearable. Paul's saying there's a better way to cope with life and its ups and downs. Be filled with the Spirit and allow Him to fill you with His Holy Spirit. You know, one of the clear marks of a person who's being filled and controlled but, you know, and that's the thing. Paul's basically saying, don't be controlled by alcohol, overwhelmed by it, drunk by it. Be overwhelmed, be controlled, be uh, guided by the Holy Spirit. And, and the clear marks of somebody who's filled by the, the Holy Spirit is joy and peace and hope. Um, when we allow God's Spirit to fill us up, we know it, it, what it means to be with God. In other words, it's not only that are we with God when we're filled with the Spirit, but the Spirit of God is within us. That's just, you know, you're going to meditate on that for a while. And what Paul is basically saying is, here's what we all need every day. Whatever your request is, Paul says this in Romans. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace. Why? Because you trust in Him. 
Do you want joy and peace in your life? Here's the step. Trust in Him. Don't trust in your wealth. Don't trust in your friends. Don't trust in uh, all these things. Trust in Him. If you trust in Him, you will not only have joy and peace, but then it, it says, uh, because you trust in Him, then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul is essentially saying that when we believe, God will fill us with hope, joy, and peace. Anyone around here need hope, joy, and peace? You see, it's really interesting because what Jesus says is, you don't need what I can give you, you need to be with me. And I've given you the Holy Spirit so that you can be with God. And that God can be within you. And when the power of God is within you and you're, you're, you're walking with God, you will have joy. You will have hope. You will have peace. And no matter what life throws you, the ups and downs of life, you don't need to go to the bottle. You, don't, you, won't, you won't be at a panic when things go south, when you, you struggle. You won't wreck your life. You'll say, this is part of living in a fallen world, but I have joy. In the midst of this, I have peace in the midst of this. I have hope in the midst of this. Why? Because I'm with God. You see, real joy doesn't come as we try to navigate life by, uh, by ourselves without God. Some of us are coming to God and we're saying, I just need this. Get me out of there. Get, do this, fix this, you know, whatever. And, and, and we're going for a quick fix. Real joy comes from God to us when we allow His Spirit to fill us with joy. God wants to be with us so much that He's given us His Spirit to dwell within us. Here's the last thing I want you to think about. We can and we may view God as a cosmic vending machine, but He looks at us as His child made in His image dearly loved by Him. And He wants to be with us. And Jesus said, in a discussion of prayer, about asking and seeking and knocking, He says, if you come to God, He will give you His Spirit. So I think what Jesus is saying is, whatever you ask for, the filling and the fullness of the Spirit is really what you need. Because when you have the presence of God, every other request takes on a whole new dynamic. Every other problem has a whole new dynamic. So let's, let's understand that God isn't this cosmic vending machine. God is a Father who has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, I will give you that gift. So that every one of us can have joy and peace and hope. And if we have that, we have just about everything that we need, no matter what our circumstances might be. See, we often pray, God, change my circumstances. And God says, here's what I'm going to do better. I'm going to give you my spirit so that whatever circumstances you have, you'll have joy, you'll have hope, you'll have peace. May God give us those as we approach him, not as a vending machine, but as a loving father who wants to be with us, who's given his Holy Spirit to be within us. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's pray.
And Father, that is what we need. We need to be with You and thank You that You've given us the most powerful way to be with You, Your Spirit, who dwells not only with us, but within us. I pray, Father, that we would walk in the Spirit this week, in step with the Spirit, so that we can have hope and joy and peace and so many more things than that, Father. Thank You for all that You do for us. Thank You that You love us so much and You've given us everything that we need. Help us to understand that what we need, You've already given. May we make the most of the gift of the Spirit of God who dwells within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.